Hello and welcome back to Look It Up podcast. We're your hosts, Julie and Natalie. And this week we're going to be talking about politics in sport. So the way we're going to lay out this episode is we're going to talk about state issues first and then we're going to focus on individual issues. So first of all, the biggest sporting event is obviously the Olympics. You mentioned that you you know quite a few people involved in sports and and they mentioned that the importance placed on the Olympics and getting medals at the Olympics is higher than any other achievement, even if it's on a world stage. Mm-hmm. It does. It does show the Olympics is the end goal. Yeah, I live in a house at the moment with a ton of athletes and one of them let me know about uh, how sport funding works in the UK. Mm. And basically the performance of individual sports or athletes at Olympic level is how they determine how much money the state gives each sport and each individual athlete so so if you you perform badly at the Olympics it doesn't just impact you does it impact the whole sport yeah it does so so the, the money they get from the government they split into central funding for national governing bodies to ensure that like athletes in specific sports have access to support personnel and training environments and then direct athlete funding in the shape of athlete performance award the APA so as mm. well as like the whole sport getting funding you're also getting individual athlete funding as well for athletes that perform well so it's it is like yes you will get individual funding if you perform well and your sport will get funded but if you perform less well on the day you might not get funding, but it's kind of up to your teammates. Like you will still benefit from sport funding if yeah. your teammates do well. You know, it's done by Olympic cycle and it generally is down to how you perform at the Olympics. So if you are at world class level, you, you're you a world champion. You could even break a record by that. Yeah. And then if Wait, you, just I mean, like I mean I'm sure event, like, you know? I'm sure they would have allowances, but yeah. in general, it is down to how you perform at the Olympics, not any other event. Yeah, so it's it's just a it's a big deal. They put massive weight on Olympic performance. It says um, on UK sport website, it says that success is measured by medals won, number of me- medalists developed. So it's like a big deal. I can see why state invests so much in sports. But I, I was listening to another podcast and I just remembered that they said that if uh, an Indian athlete even qualifies for the Olympics, they get immediately a job within the railway. The railway? I know, I know, the railway. They get, like, it seems like there's a connection between sports and the Indian railway. Um, <laughs> That's really bizarre. I think it was because uh, despite how big India is as a country, they have historically performed really, really badly at the Olympics, just because maybe there's not enough state Support involvement. Support in at, of, yeah. like, a young age. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, any kind of athletic ability tends to go towards things like cricket, which is very popular within India, but... You know, there are so many other events that they could be participating in at the Olympics and they mm-hmm. just don't get the attention. But yeah, if they if they even qualify for the Olympics, they get immediately a job within the railway, like a managerial job in the railway. I guess it's like you need um, a way to support your family in yeah. order to get your skill level up. Yeah, sort of I thing. mean, I think there's quite a few countries that will give um, civil service positions to athletes. But I just, I find it interesting that it's specifically the railway. Surely you'd need like an engineering degree or something to get into that That industry, kind of but... reminds me, it's like a little bit unrelated, but it reminds me of how like, if you're a really good rower, 
Yeah. Oxford and Cambridge favour you because they want oh, really? top class rowers. I mean, I guess it's not like explicitly said and I'm, I'm sure it isn't. But yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like a, a well-known fact that they will shove you in like a less relevant degree. I know that's a huge thing in the US when it comes to um, sports scholarships. I know that quite a few American colleges have been accused of even creating specific courses um, for athletes that aren't very intellectually gifted, shall we say, <laughs> like really vague titles like human organization. Land and then it economy. Just, yeah, but it will just be a class for athletes yeah. because they want like the best footballers and stuff. So yeah, that's the Olympics. Oh um, yeah, the Olympics. Do you want to kind of explain how they choose countries that will host the Olympics? And Obviously hosting the Olympics is a huge thing because it brings national prestige and all that. The way it's selected, it's a very long process. I didn't realise like how long it was. You need to meet all of the Olympic, International Olympic Committee, IOC. You need to meet all of the key people, mm-hmm. which is like spread globally. And then you need to make a case for your country's levels of security, that you have the amount of money that it's needed for building facilities, yeah. a whole host of different things. But it's, I didn't realise like how expensive that preparation can be. On average, it's about 10 years of prep work to even bid for hosting the Olympics. So Chicago spent $100 million in its campaign to bid for the 2016 Olympics, which they didn't win. It went to Rio. Wait, so Um, they spent money in bidding for it? Yeah, the campaign to bid for the Olympics, not even the actual... Do you see? $100 million just gone that's ton. also in terms of the financial costs of it i heard mm. you know obviously that the tokyo olympics has been delayed for a year yeah surprisingly it was my mom who brought this up she um <laughs> actually was telling me that it's gonna co- cost japan so much money because of the preparation costs as you said um in yeah. order to make sure that the olympics would run this year so if you think about it that's salaries that they've already paid for, for like workers to train in order to mm. make sure it runs smoothly that's um, venue hire that's accommodation that they've built in order to house um, athletes and staff members and tourists and yeah that accommodation was meant to be sold on or leased on to other people next year yeah but now that the olympics are delayed by a year I don't know if they've signed the contracts or not, but either way, like th- this accommodation is needed next year. Yeah, it's it's yeah. caused a lot of problem basically for everyone involved. Apparently it's $6 billion in economic losses from the, for the Olympics yeah. delay. Um, I do remember that Tokyo were hanging on till the very last moment. They were so convinced yeah, that they were going I, to get the Olympics on this year. I don't blame them. $6 billion is, is a huge, like, I think you were saying as well, like when picking countries, um, they have to factor in like financial costs and yeah. the money going into the Olympics will be made up by tourism and like the economic growth later on. Yeah, and also media contracts. A lot of their money comes yeah. from broadcasting For rights. For a lot of stuff. countries, those figures won't balance. And you're. You say that every game for the past 50 years has gone over budget. Yeah, like... Dramatically over budget. If you just go by data alone, no country really wants to put themselves in that situation. So Yeah, apparently um, for the 2022 Olympics, there were only two countries that were bidding for it, China and Kazakhstan. It's going to China. It's it's gone to China. And it's the uh, Winter Olympics. It's meant to be a big deal for China because Beijing is going to be 
the first place that is going to host both summer the summer and Olympics winter, and the winter. Yeah. yeah, and like it's not a sustainable model because um, so many cities don't use the infrastructure afterwards. There are so many mm-hmm. um, photo essays I've seen on crumbling, ruined Abandoned. stadiums. I think the UK, because they're the expensive UK to actually maintain. has done quite well on that. Like the London facilities, Queen Elizabeth Park. Yeah. Another big competition is the World Cup. And um, there have been allegations both with the bidding for the Olympics and with the World Cup that the officials take bribes. Um, so the, yeah, not the US, I'm not the US, surprised. US had like a huge report on like how FIFA took bribes. I'm from mm. Qatar. It's not a matter Qatar of it's World not Cup. a matter of whether it's happening. It's whether they're getting caught. Or not. <laughs> well, think think like, about it. It's a hundred percent happening. The country is way too hot to be hosting a sporting event, an outdoor sporting event. Also, there there isn't much of like a football culture within Qatar. So yeah. why why are they hosting it? And the number of human rights violations. They're using slavery to build stadiums. Mm. Some people also because they have massive issues with that in itself they might be like boycotting it on an individual level yeah i mean i'd be interested to see what footballers are going to do about that because we'll get onto it later but the number of footballers who are protesting against um police brutality in the u.s and the black lives matter movement would they also be participating in the world cup even though there are human rights violations there i guess we can find (laughs) out yeah will sports (laughs) even be around in 2022 (laughs) at this rate so yeah, going back onto um, the history of political events within the Olympics, even though um, Chapter 5 of the Olympics Charter states that no kind of demonstration or political, religious or racial propaganda is permitted in the Olympic arenas, but it seems like... Throughout... It was, well, the history of it was meant to be like a show of unity between countries. <laughs> yeah. It was meant to be like, no war, just vibes. Just vibes. Yeah. I was actually thinking, has the Olympics or even the World Cup, caused more political or global disunity? Or has it actually brought people together? I guess you can't have a perfect system. You can't have it so it's like perfectly peaceful. It will obviously, because of competition and stuff like that, it will cause more reasons for why you would be unhappy with each other. But in a way, I think it counteracts it more the other way. I think because it's a place where you have to come together and compete on a non-violent level you, you say non-violent i uh i saw some stuff about um one of the olympics uh this was after the hungarian revolt so um the ussr put down some kind of hungarian uprising it was a water polo match and they had to cancel the water polo match between the ussr and the hungarian team because there was too much blood in the water what yeah because apparently i didn't realize but water polo apparently is like low-key a contact sport um but it, it got too much contact and very very aggressive <laughs> well yeah i mean i i'm guessing so by the amount of blood in the water that i that's crazy yeah um i mean more like you know you have to put your differences aside in order to do the sport as opposed to just being a blood i see bar. it as like, like um maybe i see the olympics as a reflection of the political status of the world at that point so like if you look at 1936 Hitler used the Olympics to showcase his Nazi ideology and Nazi propaganda. He wanted to show the Aryan race as superior. Well, it was it was and, in Germany. It yeah. was Munich. And there were swastikas everywhere. So, What I found really interesting about that 
is you're saying it was propaganda and then you have Jesse Owens who earned four gold medals. Hitler refused to shake his hand. I, I remember hearing that. But he was just such a visual representation that what he was, <laughs> Hitler was saying was just completely false. The reason why um, the Olympics is like a, a good talking point for sports and politics is because last year, the World Anti-Doping Agency banned Russia from all major sporting events for four years, mm. which is... Yeah, that was huge. Which is insane, because that that covers not just um, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which is going to be moved, but also the World Cup. It covers everything. They're no longer allowed to fly the Russian flag at sporting events or play the Russian anthem. So I think that some athletes might be able to compete but under a neutral flag. That is insane. When I heard about that, I was almost like, surely not all Russian. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. surely not everyone. Surely it was only the ones that were caught doping, but then it's a state-funded Yeah, yeah. So program. I don't know. Um, so you kind of can't, you kind of have to take responsibility as a state. I thought it was really strict, but apparently um, there was a lot of criticism from um, athletes and other sporting agencies because it seems like these allegations have been going on for a very, very long time. Even, you know, mm. 2012, the London Olympics, there was allegations of doping and it seemed like the World Anti-Doping Agency was just kind of sitting around and not really taking it seriously or taking it as isolated events instead of um, a state-sponsored one. So I don't know um, if you've seen the documentary Icarus. Um, it's on Netflix I've had yeah, it. it's uh, yeah. about an amateur cyclist wanting to improve his performance because he saw such a big gap in between the top five cyclists, for example, and the rest. They were just miles ahead and it had to yeah. be, had to be yeah. drugs. So he got in contact with the head of the Russian anti-doping um, organization. And then just through just turn of events, it's revealed that he was also part of this state-sponsored uh, doping scheme yeah it, it was getting to the point where um this man uh rodchenkov he was actually fearing for his life he thought that the um, russian government were going to try and silence him so he was granted a uh, witness protection and i think he's still in america mm -hmm. it's a it's a very scary situation to be in about doping and how seriously they take allegations and convictions of doping um, as a cheating mechanism they are taking a lot more measures now to ensure that um, athletes are competing fairly because athletes have to give their whereabouts. They have to give their location as to where they are so that they can be dropped in on unexpectedly with a drugs test. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So one of my housemates, girlfriends, she is a canoeist and she has to give her whereabouts so that they can drop in on her at any time with a drugs test. And if you miss maybe like two or three, I, I can't remember how many it is, but a few drugs tests, then you're banned. If you miss them, then you're banned. So it's not even if you test and you're, you test positive for drugs. It's if you refuse to, not refuse, but if you aren't available to give your data mm -hmm. or your samples. So you can't compete anymore and you get penalised. And, and that is how serious it is. So for example... Um, Christian Coleman, um, he's a 24-year-old American 100 and 200-meter yeah. athlete. He is the fastest man in the world today. And he missed 
his first test in January 2019 and then missed a few other tests, kind of like a whereabouts failure, they call it. So they don't know where he was throughout 2019. And then they didn't accept the explanation. So he got a two year ban. So he didn't actually, he never failed a doping test, but got a two year ban from his like disappearance. It sounds like that, but like I, what I got from the the documentary was that he made it sound like every athlete is doping it's just about whether or not they get caught and i can understand why they're so strict on it because yeah russia is um very salty i guess <laughs> about the whole ban on all sporting events for the next four years russia is not one to go down <laughs> yeah, quietly they, um, i was reading an article recently about it was unearthed that they had planned cyber attacks on the uh, Tokyo 2020 Olympics. They were planning to disrupt the events by messing with the tickets, uh, disrupting the Wi-Fi, all kinds of stuff. Really, that's it's so, so petty. petty. But yeah, they they wanted to go down with a fight. It seems. Um, it it goes in line with uh, cyber attacks also against agencies conducting inquiries into their sports doping, uh, Russian sports doping. Again, it's. Can we say we're surprised? <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. Another um, big country that is, I don't know how to segue, but yeah, China. This is this is interesting. So do you know much about um, the NBA? Do you know much about uh, American basketball? No, I, I know nothing about the NBA. I did, I did hear, I don't know if this is what okay. you're about to say, but I did hear that there is a large audience for the NBA in China than there is. A larger audience is an understatement. My God. <laughs> um, so every year, uh, the NBA sends out a team to China to like tour the country, um, which I thought was just really funny because you're seeing all these American basketball players on like the Great Wall of China and stuff like that. The NBA is more popular <laughs> in China than the entirety of the US and any other country combined. Oh, yeah. okay. So that, 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 that much level, bigger. That level of like right got you it got really popular um when yao ming is like i think the first chinese player that made it onto the nba Mm -hmm. his first match 200 million chinese viewers tuned in compare that to the number of americans watching the nba finals that year was 9.9 million that is so like when we talk about like the scale of the nba in china it's it's insane and um and that's why it came like it was a huge issue when uh, last year, the Houston Rockets general manager, the Houston Rockets was the one that had Yao Ming in the past. The Houston Rockets is very popular in China for him. The general manager made a tweet supporting the Hong Kong protesters. He made a tweet that said, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And oh dear. and it seemed like oh everything, dear. everything just collapsed. I can already see Considering where that goes. that same year, um, Tencent, which is a Chinese broadcasting company, made a $1.5 billion deal with the NBA over like broadcasting rights. Mm. And the backlash was insane. Adverts and endorsement campaigns in China were taken down. They suspended um, all the matches, all NBA matches being shown in China. You had like fans protesting outside venues in America. You also had a huge wave of fans going to social media, burning their merchandise just for one tweet. Yeah. One tweet had that much impact. It's, it must be like a, a huge solidarity thing yeah, in yeah. China to like 
because it's not just when you say fans are protesting it's not just the state then it's literally on an individual basis as well yeah yeah their influence and the the thing is like um the nba tried to like salvage everything they they kind of supported um the general manager just saying like we believe in free speech he said what he said but then they just kind of swept everything under the rug um which got then loads of backlash from like the western press and western politicians both like it's hard it's hard to please everyone it's so hard and I think people massively underestimate China's buying power. Exactly. I think one point five billion dollars. I That's... know, and it's not it's not just sport. Like when I was doing um, my dissertation and on um, Asian film trends mm-hmm. and stuff like that, China's also caused a lot of issues with um, kind of luxury brands. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much they sell because the China market. If you piss one of them off. You're honestly losing like millions of sales. Yeah, it's it's so hard. People really underestimate that. So that's why a lot of um, marketing campaigns and, uh, as you said, like PR and stuff, they have to be really careful about political opinions or cultural insensitivities. Mm. Um, I saw a thing about. Um, I think uh, the Chinese government allow. I think it's thirty, thirty-two, maybe, international movies to be shown in China every year. That's like that's so small. Thirty movies. Um, so it becomes like a huge competition of which predominantly American movies are going to make it to the Chinese market, which is a really big deal because there are more cinemas in China than there are in any other country in the world. So mm. to get your movie there, it's a big deal. That's why um, in the past like 10 years, you might have noticed more blockbusters being set in parts of China. Just to yeah, like, uh, I think, have uh, a sense of familiarity. Like James Bond, I think one of the past James Bond movie was like briefly set in China all kinds of stuff like that yeah I think it's it's a big deal um but yeah like LeBron James uh spoke out and said that he didn't think what the manager did was right and he was basically criticizing him because he was trying to you know salvage the relationship with China but obviously he got so much backlash from Western fans and Western politicians by saying oh LeBron James is against yeah Hong Kong freedom well it makes sense because he has a a nike deal and sneaker culture is just starting to pick up in china seriously Mm, and um i didn't realize but he's cast in space jam 2 nice space jam 2 (laughs) is coming if you didn't know um and they're hoping to like really push the china chinese market with that it is slightly worrying though because it's like all this is is about money it's about endorsement deals it's about broadcasting isn't that what all anything is to do. I know, but you'd like to think that sports might just be that moral high ground, but it it really isn't. I don't. I really think you can't escape it when people who own sport, people who control sport, are massively rich people with political agendas. I I don't think you you can avoid it getting embroiled in politics on a, a wider state mm. level. Not not just state, but organisational, like huge organisational level. Yeah, I think it will be really interesting seeing the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing with the current controversy surrounding China and like the Hong Kong protests and the Uyghur Muslims. It would be interesting to see if there would be any uh, boycotts or other kind mm-hmm. of things going ahead. I'm ready to be entertained. <laughs> so that was like you know, issues on a state level, on a big organisational level. But um, I did a lot of research on politics on an individual level. Mm. So 
obviously the massive one that's happened recently is the Marcus Rashford campaign for free school meals continuing in lockdown. Yeah. yeah. And that called into question, you know, the overarching question, should sports people get involved with politics and and policy Mm. there was a huge backlash over that initially when Marcus Rashford was speaking out against the government stopping free school meals when schools closed because essentially a very sound argument children still have to eat even when schools are closed there's no reason why they would suddenly have money to feed themselves Mm -hmm. especially when um, parents are you know likely to be out of work or furloughed so they're only on 80% of their income and so he was petitioning for the government to extend the free school meals scheme throughout the period where schools are closed basically yeah. and people were arguing oh you know he hasn't had political training he's not well read or well versed stick to what you're good at you know just kick a ball about why are you getting involved with things that don't concern mm. you I think that's a massive misconception as well that all sports people are dumb and not educated and don't have a right to a political opinion Mm. or aren't intelligent. People who do music or people who do sport, um, people who act, whenever they try and get involved in like explicitly political matters, like extending free school meals, policy issue, they are patient holders dumb they're like well you you don't have a right to do Mm -hmm. this because you should just stick to what you're good at because they're not academic fields so that they're kind of looked down upon intellectually yeah i mean it's it's sort of this thing where you're not qualified to talk about these things and when you're when you become a massive sportsman um you become really successful in your career and in your field and you gain a big following a lot of influence, a lot of power. You want to use that for good, and you want to be able to um, but influence that might others be to a also why make the same. You sh- they shouldn't. Obviously, I, I support what um, Marcus Rashford has um, campaigned for, and I think it was a good cause. But these days, footballers have more followers on Instagram and Twitter than any politician. If they take a political stance. Mm-hmm. They have a huge they, influence. They do over. have a huge influence. So, like, yeah. I think we've been very lucky at the moment that they have been promoting good causes. But who's to say they won't? Like, who, for example, um, Kanye West and his support of Trump. I know he got a lot of backlash from fans, which was like a good thing to see. But um, and and his um, bid for president as yeah, well. Yeah, it it did have me wondering. Because I was I was seeing How like um, tweets of people writing in the ballot Kanye West for president. He got thousands, by the way. He got tens of thousands. Exactly. That concerns me, but I don't know if that's the fault of the. Uh, mm. Whose fault is that? I get you. I kind of think, yes, they have influence, and I'm hoping that you know they would be checked by fans as to like what causes they are mm. choosing to support. But yeah, I, I mean, it worked. Initially, even the government was sort of like implying, oh, Marcus Rashford, go back to kicking a ball. Oof. I mean, there was a huge Twitter storm about it. Loads of Conservative MPs were kind of retweeting him. I mean, quote tweeting him saying, you know, you don't you don't know anything about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You, where is all this money going to come from? You don't know where the fund, how funding works, blah, 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 blah. I also think that... Um when it comes to celebrities 
voicing any opinions on politics, one of the first things that gets mentioned is how rich they are. Like they're too rich to complain. Yes. Like, why don't you use your own money? And then, well, he shouldn't have to use his own money. It should be fairly taxed. Mm. It shouldn't just be an individual choice to donate money to charity. Charities only exist as a failure of the government. Yeah. Because you shouldn't have to have extra support if the government had done their welfare stuff properly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was saying his campaign was a success. It was originally shot down and then the massive backlash caused the government to rethink their stance. When the government initially said, no, we're not going to extend free school meals, they voted against Mm. it. All the Conservative MPs, except for five of them, five Conservative MPs voted yes for free school meals and the rest voted no. And um, they were just massively vilified the rest of the Conservative MPs. So in constituencies, they were putting out empty plates outside the MPs' um, offices and stuff like that. As like a sort, because obviously they can't protest in person because they'd be blamed for like breaking lockdown restrictions. They were putting empty plates outside their offices. (laughs) I thought that was like really effective. Um, But yeah, he, he managed to overturn it. They did reinstate free school meals. But in that period where they refused, the government refused to, his campaign sparked so many different establishments, you know, small local businesses who who sell food to start their own free children's meal mm-hmm. scheme. So they'd be like, any child who's hungry, we're giving out th- this number of free meals in this time, come and collect a meal, we won't ask any questions. Yeah. There were hundreds and hundreds of businesses around the country doing that. And that prompted big organisations to pledge money as well. So so McDonald's pledged one million free meals to struggling families. They were going to fund one million free meals, which was quite funny because people thought that they were, they misread it and they were they thought that McDonald's was pledging one million free meals of their own <laughs> menu. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> to thought. To struggling students. And they were like, oh, well, how, why are you giving students junk food? So it, it really sparked this huge wave of generosity. And Marcus Rashford got an MBE. Really? So, yeah. Oh, congrats to he him. He did. And that's paved the way for him to do more social work. So he's set up a children's reading club. Aww. So he's worked with Macmillan Children's Books. Pan Macmillan is a massive publishing house. Okay. And he's um, got a publishing scheme with them where they're going to publish underrepresented writers so people from different backgrounds Mm, mm. for children aged 5 to 18 and then kind of setting up a recommended reading program so Marcus Rashford's reading club (laughs) it's called and they will um, set out a list of recommended books that Marcus Rashford has recommended um, so he can maybe use his influence of boys especially who idolise him might um, want to get more involved with reading so I think on the whole even though there was backlash, it was largely silenced because of the massive... Pos- you can't deny that it was, it was a positive yeah, change, yeah. despite what political leaning you have. I think issues that boost underrepresented voices and target social welfare, if it is funded correctly, isn't really a political party issue as such. Yeah, I was also thinking that um, what I said earlier about what happens if a sporting personality or figure were to be promoting a damaging message politically. Yeah, I, I like to think that they'd get so much backlash that it would get shut down pretty fast. 
Mm. Because considering how much backlash that Marcus Rashford got for you know just trying to feed children. Yeah, but that the whole free school meals thing was a massive, massively controversial thing because controversial in that surprising I mean not controversial surprising in that a lot of conservatives were supporting it as well Mm. usual conservative voters were massively disappointed in their MPs their conservative MPs who had voted against giving free school meals it was just you know a whole everyone loves children sort of thing like how can you take that away from a starving child there's no there wasn't really much rationale behind it's just raising an issue to a higher level but like the direction that the policy goes is dependent on experts if that makes sense like if your mm-hmm. argument is that marcus rashford had no political background so why is he talking about politics he just elevated the conversation and then exactly it's he, still he never like pretended that, like, to be an well. expert in yeah, it yeah yeah he, he was always like this is the issue and this is what i think mm. you should do mm. and it was more of a way as you said to amplify the the conversation so by him talking about it, it was easier to see how many people were in support of it and how many people were against it. Yeah. And in terms of like also like an individual political campaign, I guess this whole, the right to protest, I think a lot of people would have argued that it shouldn't be done in sports because it's political. Yeah, the arguments I've seen are that sports is meant to be about uniting people and it's meant to be about also escapism um from outside issues sports is a uh, entertainment for the majority of the viewers so but i think this ties back to what i was saying about influence if you have that big of a platform and you have that big of a voice and you you feel so strongly about issues such as police brutality and racial injustice mm-hmm. on a personal level many of them have said how can they just sit by and not use their voice and not use their platform in order to amplify these issues and to raise awareness? It's kind of like they wouldn't be able to forgive themselves if they didn't. When it comes to um, Kaepernick and when he he took a knee, I I couldn't help thinking that the backlash that it caused by people getting so offended, it didn't take away anything from the actual sporting event. What he did was prior to the match. During the actual course of the match, everything was very much the same. So just mm-hmm. taking this small moment outside of the actual sporting event to express something, I I didn't. I'm just surprised that it caused so much. Um... Well, I was I was gonna say like so the argument against it would be that you know you shouldn't include politics in sport, mm. but for issues such as like racial injustice and Black Lives Matter and police brutality, I think when issues like that come up, the argument for them would be well they're not political issues they're human rights issues they are things that should be a right for all humans as opposed to a political ideology um and this has happened throughout history you know people were protesting about human rights and racial injustice so the 1968 mexico city olympics with tommy smith and john carlos giving um the salute Mm. Most people must have heard about this already, but um, in this ceremony, the medal ceremony for the 200 metres, Tommy Smith, who won gold, and John Carlos, who won bronze, raised they each raised a black gloved fist during the US national anthem while turning towards the flag. And the silver medalist, Peter Norman, he's an Australian, um, a white guy, he also wore a badge 
um, which was the Olympic Project for Human Rights, OPHR. It's basically an organisation that was set up the previous year, which is opposed to racism in sports. So he was, he also, even though he didn't raise his fist in solidarity, he wore the badge to show that he was in support of what they were doing against racism in sport. And it was his idea for them to each raise a gloved fist because um, John Carlos had left his gloves at the Olympic Village. So that's why they each raised a right fist and a left fist as opposed to both raising a right fist and both or both raising a left fist. That's quite sweet, actually. Yeah. And in terms of the backlash of it, obviously, 1968, racism was still a massive overt problem. Like there was so much abuse and um, lack of opportunity for black people. So Tommy Smith and John Carlos obviously got ostracised from it. Um, They struggled to, they tried to continue with athletics, but um, in the end, they both tried their hand at the NFL and then both went to coaching later. And Tommy Smith actually still doing public speaking around the whole issue of human rights and racial injustice and stuff like that. Um, But what I found most interesting was that Peter Norman he's sort of forgotten about the whole thing. Whereas Smith and Carlos gained more redemption in this modern age because everyone now recognises that, you know, racism is bad and they shouldn't have been treated that way and they were right to protest Mm. against it. Peter Norman was also ostracised for his support, even though he didn't raise the fist. Just just wearing the badge was enough for him to be hated in Australia and he, he couldn't compete in the Olympics again. He didn't go to the Munich Olympics four years after his career was essentially ended yeah I mean I I can't what what you just said it almost raises the the reason why that should be kept away from sports is because what what do you give priority to if you if you accept even like I know this isn't a political issue but who's to say that like somebody wants to wear a badge saying like save the oceans and we need to clean the oceans and then somebody else is wearing a badge talking about um the syrian refugee crisis and somebody else is wearing a badge talking about abortion rights and like does that not detract from the game and i i do kind of wonder like how much of the action that is being done by the sporting community now to do with black lives matter how much of it is just because of fear of backlash on the internet. I do, I do agree. I don't want to say that it's like become an empty gesture because it's definitely yeah, good yeah. that it's being talked about. I think sport as an entertainment platform has an audience that spans so many different classes and so many different, but this is a way of reaching people who might not necessarily have heard or been exposed to these conversations before. Yeah. And I think in terms of starting conversations, it is a good way of doing that for people who actively avoid or haven't ever been immersed into that political sphere before. Like any exposure is good exposure, yeah, I think. Yeah. Any way of starting conversation is is a step forward, I think. Because if you don't talk about it, people's opinions can never be changed. And then you touched upon... Colin Kaepernick as well, kneeling in, during the US anthem um, and how much backlash he received. And that was for police brutality and racial, racial injustice yeah. as well in 2016. So the backlash that he received, Kaepernick was fired by the San Francisco 49ers 
And since then, he's not been able to sign a contract with any NFL team after that, like at yeah, all. Yeah. He he knelt with teammate Eric Reed. Mm. Um, Eric Reed managed to stay on, but then in May 2018, he filed an official grievance letter with the NFL, alleging that the team owners in the league, influenced by Trump, had colluded to prevent his employment due to his protest activities. And that was because after the Kaepernick situation where it just blew up, Trump called for NFL players who knelt during the national anthem to be fired and encouraged fans to walk out of the stadium if such things happened mm-hmm. again. Obviously, he was a president at that time, so it had a massive influence over it kind of stoked the fire essentially um regarding that debate around politics and sport and whether you should have any protest action at all i mean both of them have had their careers massively affected by it like kaepernick can't work readers finding it really difficult so i think that's quite a good example of when things get political in sport athletes are punished by the state by using their sporting careers over like their political choices. And another example would be Muhammad Ali refusing to serve in the war against Vietnam mm. in 1967. He said, I ain't got no quarrel with those Viet Cong and refused to enlist in the army. Yeah. So a couple months later, he was charged with draft evasion, sentenced to five years in prison, fined $10,000 and banned from boxing for three years. So no boxing for three years for an athlete like if if yeah sure for draft evasion and stuff like that everyone has to go through the same system but to ban him from boxing no other person would would be barred from yeah, work yeah. you know that's his career that's his job no one would be like oh you can't go into the office for like <laughs> three years whereas if he's such a big figure they use that as a way of punishment mm. using his sporting career which I feel it's a bit unfair. Like, I think I don't agree. It's kind of like you wouldn't apply that to anyone else. So why just because he's has a successful mm. career that's watched by many people that he has to have that penalised? Especially now, since, like, obviously the views on Vietnam War have changed. A lot of Americans are, like, they shouldn't have gone to war with Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. If you guys enjoyed this episode... Um, tune in for our next one and check out our content which is on instagram at look up podcast and on twitter which is at look up pod thank you for listening bye bye